This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Yesterday, we got hopeful news about the course of the pandemic. It looks like we are at the peak, at least in the community, although there is no let up in the devastation at long-term care homes. What does this mean to us? What should we be doing? The numbers to call if you have questions, comments, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And on the line, I have Dr. Adam Kassam, a Toronto-based physiatrist and public health expert. Thank you for joining us. How are you? Good to be back with you, Libby. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. So uh, this looks like some kind of good news that we got yesterday. What does it mean that we are at the peak? Yeah, so Libby, I think that uh, your listeners should, should understand that there is some cautious optimism, of course, in the medical community with these numbers. And I think even today, for example, there was continued good news. I think the province reported uh, the smallest one-day jump uh, of new cases. So the number of new cases over the past 24 hours uh, was 4.5% increase from the day before, which represents 552 new cases. So that number is still quite large, but the percentage of that number change um, is actually the lowest it's ever been since we've been counting. So I think that there is some reason to be optimistic, but as we kind of talked about before, you know, we're still very much in the early innings of this ball game. So we need to keep our foot on the gas, make sure that we're diligent and vigilant uh, moving forward. But there is some good good news right now. Can you explain to me what the reproductive rate is? I think I, I think that's the measure of how many uh, infections one infected person leads to. Is am I right? Yeah, that's exactly right. So it's sort of a population ecology and demographic kind of uh, number. But yeah, it's, it's used to represent sort of the, uh, the, the the number of people that would be infected by an individual. So if, for example, um, I were to go out and infect, let's say, two people based on my interaction throughout the day, uh, then that's sort of a, a higher R, R0, R0 number. And so um, this is a very important measure because it is kind of the metric that epidemiologists used to look at exponential growth. And um, right now, we're, of course, seeing that number be pretty low because of the sort of distancing measures that are in place. And I think that in Canada, of course, and certainly in Ontario, what we have is sort of a luxury of perhaps a bit more space than other highly dense or uh, highly sort of occupied areas, so high density areas. Um, metropolises around the, around the world, for example, who have suffered a different fate. So we're thinking about places like, of course, New York City is, is a prime example. Uh, do you know what our current rate is now? I don't have that information on me, actually, Libby, but um, I know it's it's trending in the right direction. What about um, one of the measures that I saw talked about is the percentage of tests that come back positive. Do you know how we're doing with that? Yeah, so I, I don't know the latest numbers, Libby, but I do remember that there was some concern about false negative percentage of cases. So I think that number is somewhere between 20 and 30%. Now, that's a pretty high number, and I don't know if that's still accurate as of today. 
but that means that 30% of people who would have come back with a negative test were actually potentially positive. So that's a number that we need to, to really reduce, right? Because if we're basing our numbers on these tests and the way that they are reported and the accuracy of the tests, then a 30% false negative rate is actually not very good. I'm I'm going to give the numbers out again. We uh, seem to have uh, lost a couple of calls, so people feel free to call back. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And I am talking to Dr. Adam Kassam, who is a Toronto-based physiatrist and public health expert. And of course, we had some hopeful news yesterday. I won't say good news uh, about uh, the course of the pandemic. And Dr. Kassam, one of the things that we've learned throughout the piece, and and, uh, I just had a chat with the Minister for Seniors, and she also noted this, is that while we were preparing, we cleared space in hospital by sending uh, patients who were there just waiting for a nursing home bed to nursing homes. And right now, we have a big problem in nursing homes and less so in the hospitals. What, what's your view of that? Yeah, so I think that there are perhaps two parallel stories about COVID that are going on right now. So when you look at the hospitals, which were restructured or reorganized in order to make capacity for any possible surge that we saw uh, has been actually very successful. We see that the obviously the, the ICU numbers are quite low and that there is adequate capacity. So for example, the, the province's numbers on that are that right now there are about 687 available ICU beds um, with an additional capacity of, 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 of close to 1,500 beds um, from our baseline. So we are actually in a very good position from an ICU perspective. But as you already alluded to, there is the flip side of the coin, which is that places like nursing homes and long-term care facilities have seen exponential rises in their not only infection rates, but unfortunately also death rates. And so there are, as you said, parallel stories here. And, and that is some cause for concern because, you know, these are patients, of course, uh, who are especially vulnerable. But I'll, I'll also add that, you know, the, the capacity that we have in the hospitals, which has been significant, does have an effect out in the community, right? And so people who would have otherwise been going in for elective surgeries, and we have to remember that elective surgeries, while they're called elective, that doesn't mean that they're unnecessary. They're actually very necessary. It's just that they're not emergencies. And so they have knock-on effects. So for example, if you're waiting, and which you know is sort of a hallmark of our system, if you've been waiting, let's say, six months or seven months for a knee operation, and all of a sudden now you have to wait another five or six months because of what's been going on, now you're living in pain, for another six or seven months. And so these are knock-on effects of this reorganization. And I think that there is now perhaps a start of a conversation to figure out whether or not we can get back into sort of a normal, uh, you know, delivery of healthcare, at least at the, at the, at the hospital level. Well, uh, I was going to say, n- never mind uh, uh, joint replacements. You have cancer surgery uh, being post- postponed, and and yes, it's elective because the guidelines say you can wait two months. But but still, that to me, those are urgent surgeries being postponed. Absolutely, Libby, and 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 uh, you know, not only is it cancer surgery, which of course is is very much high on people's priority list, but you know, there are other things like. Uh, aneurysm, aneurysms, aneurysm repairs, other types of procedures that, uh, that, that, are, that are crucial for patients. And so as we start seeing what will hopefully be at some point, and again, the forecast for this is still to be determined, but as we start seeing an easing of restrictions, uh, that will have to play into the decision about how to re, 
re, uh, restart the medical infrastructure as well. Uh, I'm just looking at a graph from the hospital and says yesterday there were 9,330 new tests and 6% positive. Is, is, is that a good rate? I thought I saw in the States their positive rate is a lot higher. Yeah, so... You know, so the, you know, it, it, I would say it's easy to compare to the United States and 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 kind of be pretty happy with our results. I think that what you'll find is that number, so the positive rate, probably goes down much more if you have widespread testing, right? And so if you were able to test every single person in Ontario, I think that number is less than five or six percent. But again, I you know, it's hard to really know that without actually doing the tests. And so there is some cause for, as you said, optimism and, and looking at those numbers, especially not only the positive rates, but more importantly, instead of chasing sort of numbers that are based on testing, the real hard metrics are, you know, uh, death rates and sort of ICU uh, positive cases that are either ventilated or not ventilated. So just to give you an example, right now in Ontario, we have 194 ICU COVID positive patients who are currently on a ventilator, 56 who are in the ICU who are not on a ventilator. So those are really concrete numbers that we can actually look at as far as how we're doing. And uh, that's I'm looking at that exact graph, and uh, it's it's pretty stable over the last few days in terms of those numbers. Right. So that, this is a good point, Libby, and, and I think what's important for your listeners to understand is that these numbers, of course, that we're seeing represent a lag, right? So this is what would have happened two weeks ago. And now we're seeing sort of the results of that. And so this flattening, which we're seeing, which is great, represents what's, ha- what's happened two weeks ago. And we need to continue seeing that flattening for, for the next couple of weeks uh, and hopefully longer. Right. And so, for example, in China, when they started to reopen the economy, what they what they what their metric was, was two weeks of single digit declines in death rates. And so that was their metric. They needed to see that for two weeks before they opened anything up. And so, again, uh, you know, our metrics may be a little bit different, but that's kind of giving us some guidelines. Uh, I have a question about ventilators. And uh, I know that a lot of people, there was a big panic that we didn't have enough of them. Uh, mm-hmm. Now we appear to have enough. And, and a lot of people think, oh, it, it's going to be okay. Uh, worst comes to worst, you get on a ventilator. But the survival rate uh, from coming off a ventilator is very poor. And I heard on the weekend some guidance from some experts in Italy who said, you know, the the ventilators can do a lot of damage to the lungs by making them harder and are are not a one-size-fits-all solution. Uh, how much of that guidance has percolated through? I think that's hard right now because we're still learning about this virus and its effects on uh, on the human body. And, and, you know, as far as the lungs are concerned, of course, any anyone who has to go on a ventilator means that they're pretty sick. And, and, and that's not a very good situation to be on. And as you said, sort of the weaning off of a ventilator is uh, potentially... Uh, problematic. And so not only is the wean potentially, you know, a challenge, but let's not forget, we don't really know how this, if you've, let's say, been on a ventilator and come off of it, how, how you're going to be, be able to rehab and recover, right? So in my line of work, I work with a lot of rehab patients and that recovery process, not specifically for COVID, but generally speaking, can be a long process. And that happens out in the community, right? And I think I just wanted to sort of allude to, uh, you know, your previous two caller, uh, your two guests who are both friends and colleagues of mine, Dr. Doctors Gandhi and, and Maharaj, and they, they expounded very eloquently on, you know, the need for reinforcing our community care, right? So after we're done with, uh, hopefully, uh, this pandemic, 
people are still going to need care, Libby, right, in the communities, uh, I, I, at, at, at family doctors' offices. And what we really need is this government to start making sure that they can that, that physicians are paid and that they are that they are viable for for the on, onslaught of, of patients that are going to need care after COVID. I was going to say, I would imagine Dr. Maharaj is a pulmonologist. You know, he's there's going to be a, a waiting list for people who uh, are recovering slowly. Uh, Absolutely, you know, and that you know, and, and Dr. Maharaj is, a, is an excellent physician, and 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 his care of obviously lung-related disease for people who've had COVID, for example, and otherwise. Uh, imagine if, for example, because uh, of the system right now, where uh, the government's not paying um, doctors, and these are doctors that are putting their, themselves on the line here, Libby, right, putting limb and limb and life uh, for us. Uh, imagine if they if their practices aren't sustainable financially because of what is happening, and then all of those patients that really need Dr. Maharaj's care can't get it because the government said, you know what, we actually don't want to pay our frontline healthcare workers. I think that's unacceptable, and it's going to have a huge effect on people's ability to to get good care in our province. Okay, well, uh, let's hope all those issues get sorted out. As always, Dr. Adam Kasim, thank you so much for your advice and for clarifying the situation for us. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Libby. Be well. Okay, you too. And that is all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.